We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing and free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Arsenal are embarrassed at Leicester, and Ramsey's Arsenal career is over. But here's the good news. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. There is no good news. That's the good news. There is no good news. Um, having said that, though, look, I have to apologize. We are late putting this podcast out, which is kind of on brand, but the truth is I traveled a lot in April for, uh, it says here, my job. Yeah, we'll have to do something about that. Uh, won't happen again, I promise you. And we will have podcasts out in a timely fashion. I think Scott and I are planning on doing a pre-match podcast for the Valencia game as we bravely soldier on in this thing called Arsenal Fandom. Uh, there will be new Patreon content coming out, like lots of it. A top four pod, I'll explain what that is. Um, maybe kind of a misnomer when it comes to Arsenal because top four maybe has slipped away, but it's a different kind of top four pod. Mailbag pod, uh, squad building pod, all kinds of stuff coming on over there. Uh, FBAs are coming around. I want to thank everyone who voted for that. But enough about us. Let's talk about who is on the podcast. Scott is here. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah. And Dave, Scottish Dave from the 
erstwhile arse to mouse podcast is here you can find him on twitter at mick meeks hey meeks hello hello okay the new etc yeah you and i met irl <laughs> yes uh and but there was no kissing involved which was quite disappointing so but there was Maybe like a lot time. of innuendo and and a lot of telling each other that we were good looking men and things like that a heavy petting as well mm-hmm. from what i can drunkenly recall so i mean we good. did have a drink at a bar where there were a lot of genitals on display so that is true yeah pickled pickled genitals in jars that was quite the thing yeah now i'm gonna have the fbi at my house but that's fine won't be the first time <laughs> um so i said dave's on twitter at mcmeeks when i say he's on twitter i mean that in the loosest sense when was your last tweet like eight months ago i I think I retweeted something on the 15th of January, and that's only because I've just looked back now. So, so if you're yeah, the I'm person a- Dave retweeted, it must have been a hell of a good tweet. Um, okay, look, enough foreplay. We just got to dive into it. Um, Scott, Emery in, Emery out. What do you think? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, can I be like Emery undecided? Well, let me ask you this. Um, at the beginning of the season, I think we would have said that finishing top four was a really good achievement. And winning the Europa League would have been seen uh, as well as a really good achievement. So I guess the, the question is, how fair is it to judge Emery on the fact that we have sort of collapsed in the last five Premier League games as opposed to the fact that we were in position to finish top four at all? And how much of that should be measured against the fact that, look, this is kind of, a, you know, a... I, I believe Tim on our back channel called it a, a bald man searching for a comb competition for top four here. So, I mean, does, does Emery deserve credit for having us in position in a season that we all kind of thought would be a transition? Or does he deserve uh, criticism for having gotten in that position, kind of shitting the bed down the road? Yeah, so I did say I was undecided, but I do have a couple thoughts. So, I, overall, you look at things and Arsenal are about where you'd expect them to be. Um, by the stats, they've always kind of been that fifth, sixth best team, and that's exactly where they are on the table. Um, you know, a, a Europa League semifinal is about probably the minimum expectations for Arsenal in this competition. Uh, you know, I guess you could say that Arsenal were in pole position to get into the top four, but, you know, the, the stats were all, you know, flattering for them. They were definitely not the fourth best team, you know, competing to be the third best team. So we are exactly where we expected to be about at the start of the season. We're exactly where the stats say we should be. So, I mean, I guess this is you know, a massive failure, but it hasn't been a resounding success. Um, I, I guess it really depends on what, you know, the management thought the expectations for the season were on how to proceed. Yeah, and I I guess it is, I think, look, once you're in a position like we were in five games ago, you can't look at what we've done since then and not be heavily influenced by it. I mean, you could say, well, what if the results were reversed? What if we had the end of our season at the beginning and we had that long winning run at the end? Um, Yeah, I mean, we may have a totally different outlook and say, wow, you know, Emery came in and there was a lot of uh, change and there was a lot of... Uh, things he had to get his hands around, but once he got his hands around it, look what he did. He got us on a winning run. But that's not what happened. He came in. We kind of lucked our way a little bit to a winning run. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I mean, there were some performances there that weren't as good as the result, but we did go on a winning run. But having established himself with the team and gotten that under his belt, he hasn't really been able to establish a philosophy, build an approach. And some of that's down to injuries, but some of that I think is down to shortcomings. Dave, I guess, you know, you have been in our Do Me WhatsApp back channel with Tim the pro-Emery voice in that back channel. Uh, You've had a lot of patience for him. I think some of that is wearing thin. I guess what I would say for you is like, 
put the results aside for a minute because it, it can't only be about results. Do you think a big problem for Emery in winning over a section of the fan base is just that there is no clear identity of what his football is, so we can't say this is what he's trying to do and it, you know, he needs this kind of player or he just needs a little more time. I struggle to connect to the guy, first of all, because I just don't think he has a ton of charisma, which is difficult in the second language, but also because I don't feel that I know what his philosophy is and I don't feel that I can identify with. Is it the type of football he's installed that makes him harder to, to feel a connection to? I'm going to come right out of the gates and say after the unerring shit show of Sunday, I'm no longer in any way going to even contemplate fencing. So I'm just going to go straight in and say, Emery out, Emery fucking out. He's <laughs> I knew inviting you day, was on dangerous. His, <laughs> on his best days, maybe a 7 out of 10 coach. On his worst day, he's far less than that. I, I think you've got to look, take the context of, yes, you know, like expectations were maybe different at the beginning of the season. Transitional period, transitional period. We look at United post-Ferguson. But you've really got to take the context of what the other teams around us are doing. You, you know that kind of general thing that happens every year between, I'd say, 6th and 8th, where every team's just trying to avoid Europa League. Uh, the Europa League positions, you know, they're purposely eating poison lasagna and et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's like every team between fourth and six, no one wants to get in the Champions League. I mean, it's an historically awful United side who've won one in the last five league games. It's under the Abramovich year, it's an historically bad Chelsea side. They've won two games at their last five. So Spurs too, by the way. They've tried to shit the bed as well. Spurs, yeah. Spurs have, uh, again, yeah, they've, not been great recently. Um, so, yeah, we're all just that horrible pack of drunks fighting over the last cab on a Saturday night while covered in kebab meat. Um, I think generally, you look at most of the metrics this season. Now, I know we're already, we, we've already accrued more points this season than we did last with two games. So, I think what we got 63 points last season, and I think we're now in 66. I guess we could finish on 72, if my Sesame Street maths hold out, but it's probably... I was told there'd be no math. We will not uh, We will not win at Burnley, so there's a... There's a... <laughs> in no way a spoiler for you. Um, we've scored less goals than last season. I think we scored 74 last season. We're on 69 now. We're sure if we put a few past Brighton, that might change. Uh, I think we've... We're, we're on course to concede more goals i think we're only two behind how many we conceded yeah, that that part's season. astonishing frankly <laughs> um we we have somehow scratched out more away points so though considering we only got 16 last season uh that's not particularly encouraging um i think a top assist makers eight goals lacazette which was i think the same as ramsey and ozo had last season i looked at the stats ozo's got two assists this season i mean i know he's had bruised feet every single week of the season, but Jesus Christ. Um, but going back to your point, um, I think the there's no identity. Like th There can't be identity because there's no cohesion in the tactics or I think even more pertinently, there's no cohesion in the starting lineups. We're so, you know, he's so schizophrenic in his lineups and from, you know, going between, I'd say, Palace on... Palace on... Um, two weeks ago when he was maybe overly cautious to then maybe being overly gun and cool at Molyneux. There's just no consistency in what he wants to do with his selection or his tactics. And I think that translates to what we saw on Sunday against Leicester. You know, a group of timid, confused players who are seemingly 
too thick or too gutless or too heartless or a combination of all three to carry out what he wants to be carried out the pitch. So yeah, yeah, Emery out. Emery out. Emery okay. all the way out. I, I appreciate your circumspection, circumspection um, <laughs> in your answer there. I mean, look, it is it is one of those tough things, right? Like, look at the season where we finished second behind Leicester. There are some people who are like, oh, don't you see the improvement we're making? We finished second. And then there were other people who I think rightfully were like, no, we were level with Leicester in February and we fucking lost the title to Leicester City. All the other teams fell away. We should have taken advantage of that. And I think given the position we were in in the league, whether you feel that we didn't have the right to expect to be there or not, what we've done subsequently is really damning and and really worrying. I will give Emery this. I think that he has had some extraordinarily difficult circumstances behind the scenes and with the uh, player personnel. Gazidis going, Sven going, the turnover in the back room, that that kind of dysfunction can be a distraction. Uh, The Ramsey situation has been tough. You know, we don't know what happened behind the scenes there, but he was in the team, he was out of the team, and then the injury. He had to sort out the Mesut Ozil situation, which, whether he got it right or wrong, was a disruption. He lost Holding for the season. He lost Welbeck for the season. He lost Bellerin for the season. Again, all major issues. He got no reinforcement in January other than, it says here, Denise, Denise, swear. (laughs) I don't know. Some guy from Barcelona. I'm not convinced he exists. So, I mean, there have been a lot of challenges along the way. Well, let's let's get a little bit focused on, on the game itself for a minute, Scott. And I think, you know, to Dave's point, it has started to look to me like the players don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And that was never more evident for me than at Leicester. Now, I have seen the first 35 minutes before the red card described as a counterattacking performance. I do not accept mm-hmm. that. Because if you look at the counterattacking performance at Spurs, for example, at Wembley, where we played so well, uh, you know, we pressed them aggressively. We were compact in the middle of the pitch. We pressed aggressively in their half. We didn't let them pass their way out. They really struggled to get by us. And we committed to that very aggressive pressing strategy and countered and played on the transition. If you look at Leicester, you know, a counterattacking performance to me has to have one of two things or two of two things. It has to have real compactness defensively so that the other team isn't creating chances. And then it has to have the ability to win the ball and transition quickly. Now, we had a couple of decent transitions, but by the time the red card rolled around, they had eight shots on target, or eight shots, two big chances. They were carving us open. I don't think when a team is carving you open and you have 25% possession, you can say that that was a masterful counterattacking performance. So just before the red card, let's look at that. He comes with this 4-4-2. It's not really a setup we've seen very often. I thought the players looked like they weren't sure what they were supposed to be doing. And even if the approaches to counterattack 25 percent possession for arsenal away to a mid-table team to me is not how we need to be playing football so is that fair or do you think the tactics were right and the execution was wrong i you know you can you can make a good argument that counterattacking in that situation probably isn't a bad tactic to do but it looked a lot more like uh, a really bad bottom half table comes to the Emirates kind of performance. We've seen this kind of thing so often where they kind of come in and just give up the midfield. They're going to sit in their defensive third and kind of look to play direct and try to, you know, gift something on the counter. And that really is kind of what Arsenal did in this match. They didn't press forward. They didn't even press in the midfield. Um, You know, Leicester came in and, you know, they had three midfielders plus Madison coming in. So there was basically a four on two in a lot of situations and there was always an open man to pass to. And it was just so easy for them to be able to cut through the midfield 
and then really have a chance to do something into the final third. Yeah, I had him at 1.6 XG in that opening 35 minutes before. So, so before it went down a minute. So again, if you're going to call something counterattacking, to me, Scott, a counterattacking performance means you shut up shop at the back and you play to hit the other team who's committing resources forward. 1.6 XG tells me you failed at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. So this was definitely not getting the first part of the counterattacking um, you know, job requirements done. You know, one of the things you're supposed to do is neutralize the other team and then, you know, try to take your chances. And Arsenal did have one really good chance. Was that the Awobi chance? The Awobi one. And that, you know, that was actually a really nice move that Arsenal were able to do. But, you know, they it was a 1.6, 2.6. So they were definitely getting outplayed in that opening 35 minutes. So, yes, you know, it, it kind of worked at a times on offense. But on the defensive side, it definitely did not work because... There was no pressure in the midfield, and Leicester just outnumbered us in the middle of the pitch and totally were able to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, it, it, to me, if the plan was to counterattack, I don't feel that the players knew how to play that way. And to me, again, I don't think these are very good players. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in this team. But I do think you have to look at it and say, you're playing a back five at home to to Palace expecting your front three to basically do all the heavy lifting and attack. You go away to Wolves, uh, Wolves, yeah, Wolves at Molyneux, and you, and you play a really attacking lineup, and you try to have possession. And then and you, that really plays into what Wolves want people yeah, to do against yeah, them. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. I thought he got those lineups and, and tactics reversed. And then the other thing is Emery's own comments had me scratching my head because he said after this Leicester game, you know, oh, we— we had con- we wanted to have control, and we felt that we were good on the ball before the red card, and that changed everything. But we had like twenty percent of the ball, so I don't I don't even really know what the idea here was. But the players look really confused. Speaking of the players, I mean, one of the things that I think has become a clear issue for us, Dave, is that we just from a a defensive personnel issue, we're really struggling. This is where I have some sympathy for Emery. Is that he can't put out a back line that he can trust to defend without reinforcement, without help. And, you know, Mustafi got lucky that this game went so poorly and we went down to 10 men and the game just kind of disintegrated because it obscured what I thought was another calamitous first half hour for him of playing people on side and generally being bewildered as to where he was supposed to be. I I mean, I don't really have any words left for describing Mustafi or what we do with Mustafi, but is it possible to craft a coherent defensive strategy when you have someone like that who's going to undermine whatever the tactic is? No, I mean, it's the football equivalent of having smallpox at the centre of your defence. I mean, he's, I think my general strategy with Mustafi for the last seven or eight months is just to be, fire him into the surface of the sun and just, you know, right off the three or four million you might get from him in the uh Could you get like SpaceX to do that? I mean, is like, like how much do you think you'd have to charge SPACEX to like fire Mustafi <laughs> into the sun? Like surely... Hey, I mean... I'm I'm willing to take the thirty million quid hit. You know, if we have to pay yep. them thirty five million just to fire him to the surface of the sun, I'm I'm down for that. But yeah, um, you could like get streaming rights for it and make some money back. Be a good commercial commercial endeavor. I don't think I certainly didn't appreciate how, and it it, it didn't really feel like that at the time. But back in that two all um, against United um, at Old Trafford, when Holding got injured, that you know, I'm only really now appreciating what a, a kind of key loss that was for us because. I think holding right then was probably in his best run of form of the season. Now, I think if you'd had if you'd been able to deploy holding and Socrates for like a good run of games, 
in this you know really vital running, I think that would have had a fairly substantial effect from results. You know, I, I think we wouldn't be looking at disaster classes or blog coined it from a staff against Palace. So, and I think if you combine the the Bellerin loss in with that as well, you know, I, I've got a degree of sympathy with Mavropanos because I think clearly he just does need a loan away somewhere. But Mustafi is arguably the worst centre half I've ever seen. Like I think, well, certainly I've ever seen up Arsenal sign. I, week in week out he's putting in performances that are on par with that horror show that Sylvester put in at the new camp about five or six years ago where Messi just seemed to score 16 goals against him yeah except this so, isn't Messi making him look bad this no, is the, no, this the dross of mid-table and Premier League teams again again Andrew I think had this comparison on Arsblog uh, this week just saying you know this wasn't Brighton Hove Albion going to new camp we I've never seen us so overawed Perhaps maybe since the 8 2 Old Trafford. I mean, it was shameful. I remember like getting played off the park in that 4 0 at the new camp, I don't know what it was, six, seven years ago. But, you know, that's Barcelona. This was Leicester, you know, a mid table. Admittedly, they were in someone, an upward surge since Rogers came in, what, eight, ten weeks ago. But to put in such a craving, I mean, I think Emery's, Emery's quotes of the last week. I've been particularly doing deaf. I know you touched on England. English isn't his first language. We do have to cut him some slack in that regard. But, you know, last week he was talking about, I need time and patience to make us the biggest club in the world, which is an astonishing statement to make when you're not even the best club in North London. Honestly, that sounds like someone at Arsenal put that line in front of him and said, say this, because it reminds me of when, uh, who was it just recently said? Or or wasn't it just Josh Kroenke saying something like, around the Super Bowl, we're going to win the Champions League in a few years or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the same sort of vein as Cassidy saying, we you know, can we could do, do things, things that, that could yep. really mm-hmm. excite you. And then being the only club in the top five divisions in Europe that didn't sign an outfield player that summer. But, being um, furious is a type of excitement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the most annoyed I've been with any quotes this season are those ridiculous quotes, you know, using the sending the offense excuse. Like the first 20 minutes of the game. We had something like in the first twenty-one minutes, I think we had twenty completed passes. I mean, it, it, it's the most craven, embarrassing, small-time mentality performance I've seen from Arsenal since the eight-two. It was absolutely atrocious. And whatever you know, you can say Emery's got a natural tendency for being conservative in certain fixtures, especially away from home. But it was just a, a staggering. You know, like we're just waving the white flag immediately. It was absolutely sickening. Like it was a disgusting performance. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to come from the tactics. Like I, yeah, I'm done with Emery. I'm, 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 I'm done. So. I, I, I think that we're going to get some pushback on your comments there. But I mean, look, yeah. this was a game where they had 24 <laughs> shots to our six. They had 12 on target to our one. They had seven big chances to our one. They completed 515 passes to our 188. This was a thorough destruction. And lest you think, good use of lest there, that that was just mm. because we went down to 10 men. And I think wrong, wrongly down to 10 men, it should be said. And we were still in the game at that point. We were still being dominated at that point. Now, I do not deny that the red card had a major influence on what happened after that, but I still don't think you can excuse what happened before that. And, you know, I look at it, and you look at the players he has on the pitch. I mean, Granite Shaka completed 27 passes. He is 65% passing on the day. Like, Shaka is a guy who sprays the ball to the wings and recycles possession and, you know, generally, you know, is a pretty safe guy to build play from the back, but... You know, he's not a guy to me for the for the sit deep and counterattack strategy. So I just think the personnel wasn't right for it. But 
if I'm going to give Emery some credit, and, and Scott, this is where I think we have to talk about um, circumstance, okay? The, the circumstances of Emery's hiring were this generational manager leaves and the guy who had all the centralized power. And Gazidis is, you know, creating this insurgency where he's going to be at the top and Raul's going to be under him and Sven's going to be just under him and Emery's going to be at the bottom man running the day-to-day, you know, football stuff. And then Sven and Raul are going to combine on finding the talent and Ivan's going to rubber stamp all of it. And it's going to be great. And that blew up almost instantly. And so the, he came into a situation where there was immediate, immediate tumultuous, tumultuousness at the club. But on the pitch, he also had the problem that he had new players to integrate, which can, can be good but also difficult. He had injuries to cope with, all the things we've covered. But I think, let, let's use an analogy. Let's say you are having a heart attack, which if you've ever watched Arsenal is probably a pretty apt analogy. And you call, you know, you call for an ambulance. The ambulance comes, and the people in the ambulance who help you, we call them here in the United States EMTs. I don't know what they call them uh, on the other side of the pond or around the world, but, you know, emergency medical technicians. They're the people that, that do the immediate job of keeping you alive till you get to the hospital. Let's say you need heart surgery. The EMTs may have done a brilliant job keeping you alive. You don't have them do the heart surgery. Once you get to the hospital, you go to a cardiologist, you go to, a, you know, a cardiac surgeon, whatever, and they do the heart surgery. Now, this may seem like a really bizarre analogy, and it is. Because I don't always make a lot of sense. But let me get there. Um, Emery was hired to be that EMT, right? To take the patient, to take the club from Arson, from that period, and ferry it safely to a period where maybe it's back in the CL, maybe we're back on stable footing, we've moved away from Arson, and presumably I think then another manager comes in to take us to the level where we could potentially compete for a Premier League title, compete in the Champions League, God forbid, things like that. I think Emery has done an okay job this season trying to do what he was tasked to do, which is stabilize things, you know, ferry us through this season, keeping us relevant in the top four chase, keeping us in the Europa League, and hopefully getting us back into the CL, which still could happen. It still raises the question, whether we get in or not, was he the guy to then do the next job? And I don't know that he was ever meant to be the guy to do the next job. So, Scott, like, would you say that he has kind of done what he was brought to do, which is ferry us to the other side of this transition, and now, if we're in the CL and we're rebuilding, that next guy needs to come in, or if we're not in the CL, it is what it is. I, I guess, like, is that a fair way to look at Emery, that his job was to ferry us through this tumultuous period of change with the most stability that was humanly possible, and he's kind of done that. Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, like I said, he's basically met the expectations that were kind of laid out at the beginning of the season. It hasn't always been pretty, but, you know, this team isn't well put together. It's got a lot of issues. Um, he's going to be close. And I, it's probably maybe like a, a 40, 50 percent chance right now that Arsenal get into the Champions League via, you know, either top four or the Europa League. So there, there's still a, a decent chance that he gets that job done. Yeah, I've always seen him as a, a bridge manager. He's going to, you know, bridge Arsene Wenger to the next guy that's supposed to really kind of hopefully be able to give Arsenal a chance to actually compete for, you know, really good things like a title, maybe getting into, you know, actual trophies and those kinds of things. Um, I, I think that that's also kind of been the idea that, you know, we were going to have a, a technical director who really kind of sets the philosophy of the club you know, that they have an, an overarching view of where the club is going and what they're building towards. And I think that has been a major issue because Gazidis left, Sven left, there was the power struggle. And now the big question and the one that is more concerning to me more than what, you know, if Emery sticks around or not is 
who is actually leading the club and what is the vision and how are we going to get to that next place? Because it really seems that that is a big open question. Is it going to be raw? Is there going to be a new technical director that comes in here and really kind of... There better be. You know, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the summer... Because right now, you know, Arsenal have a, a big rebuilding job that's going to be done you know if it's perfect you know maybe it's a, a four transfer window kind of rebuilding job but more realistically it's probably five or six windows to actually get the talent in here for the next great arsenal team so i mean you can only change so much in you know one summer you know you can even change even less in the winter so it's definitely you look at the you know the team there is a lot of aging players there's a lot of players that probably no longer should be at the club that aren't at the right level um, you know, I, Andrew and James went through and I think they were able wanting to get rid of or wouldn't be sad if 60 or 70 percent. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And that's going to be the second I, half I of the pretty much, I pretty much agree with that. There is a well, lot of players well, well, that don't if they left. Don't ruin it. I won't ruin it. it. Okay. I won't ruin it yet. So there's there's <laughs> a lot of moving parts in this. And I mean, <sighs> given that, given the expectations, I think Emery has been fine. Um, I think his pragmatism with this team probably was right. Um, I think you probably could have gotten better results with a different kind of coach. But I think, you know, with his mandate to try to just get us in the Champions League, no matter what, his approach has been okay. I've definitely disagreed with it a lot at times. It hasn't been pretty. I think he's underperformed, you know, at times, but he's also gotten some good luck. So I, I, I don't know how much to blame on the coach because... A lot of bad things happened before he came. A lot of bad things have happened around him as he's been here. And this team just isn't very good. No, and I think this is the problem, though. Look, when you have players that are mediocre, and there are a lot of deeply mediocre players, and there are a few, I think, pretty talented players in the squad, but a lot of deeply mediocre players, I think you have to give them a clear job, right? You have to say, Shaq is good at this, and... Iwobi's good at this, and you know, which we can debate what that is. Um, you know, I think you could say Lucas Torreira is good at this. Mesedozo is a supremely talented player if you let him do this. And then I think you have to build a system that tries to let those players go do those jobs that they're supremely talented at. You know, if you look at the, the season Lester won the title, that's not a great team. They had some great pieces. Riyad Mahrez, Jamie Vardy, maybe Drinkwater if you want to say that, N'Golo Conte certainly. But beyond that, there's a lot of mediocrity there, and what? They, and I think I think the best way to think about it is they had players that were great at doing certain things, certain specific and things, they yes. absolutely maximized getting them to do those things. Yeah, they sat deep and they countered. That was what they did, and they knew exactly how to do it. And by the end of the season, the players looked like they could do it in their sleep. That they could hit that out ball to Mars. That he could play that ball, and you know. To Vardy running in behind, or, or you know the the low cross into the box for Vardy to put away. I mean they 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 had that down to a science. I'm not saying that's all they did, but they really heavily relied on that. And I think the kind of uh, the frequency of the changes of style, of strategy, of lineup, of approach with Emery has maybe not given certain players the ability to thrive because they just don't have that versatility in their game. I, I do want to touch on Stan Kroenke for a minute, Dave, because. I like hearing your voice okay. go, go up a register. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the case for the defense weekly because I don't think he's a good owner. But I will say this. Every time we lose a game humiliatingly or go on a bad run, the narrative always seems to switch to Kroenke as the cancer, as the problem. But at the end of the day, 
The team we have should beat Crystal Palace at home. The team we have shouldn't lose 3-0 at Leicester. The team we have shouldn't lose four out of these last five games the way they have. Stan Kroenke is a problem for the future of the club and even the present of the club and the way this team is built and the way it may be built. Having said that, I feel like that excuse is used to exonerate players and coaches when results don't go well that should have gone better. Do you think that while Stan is a problem, do you think that discussing Stan in the context of something like a 3-0 loss to Leicester is just a um, a way of d- distracting attention or, or changing the narrative? Because for me, whatever problem he is was not evident on that pitch in that day. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a kernel of truth to that. I mean, Stan That's, that's more not- kernels than I'm used to. <laughs> Stan Kroenke is not to blame for us conceding nine goals in our last three league games um, and then, you know this might be the first time I've ever actually defended him certainly out loud um, I generally think up until the, the last January window that he's not stood in the way of Arsenal signing players I don't think he's blocked signings you know like within two windows we, we smashed our transfer record twice, you know, 55 in Lacazette and then 60 in Aubameyang. Um, and, you know, Alexis before that, about 38 million. Ozzy Ozzy was about 42, 45 million, something like that. So a lot of money has been spent. 35 million Jacka, a 30-odd in Mustafi. The key thing is it's just not been spent well, and even worse than that, we've sold even worse. You know? Right, but but we if can agree, look, Stan is not the reason it wasn't spent well, no, right? Like, no, exactly. I, I, I pick, pick, your, pick your person there, it's not him. I, I don't blame Kroenke for signings or lack thereof. I think Arsenal, certainly from, say, the first five years or maybe seven or eight years after we first moved to the Emirates, to the last, say, five seasons, we spent a hell of a lot more money. So I don't really necessarily think the problems have been with Kroenke blocking money or, you know, not not allowing Wenger or now Emery to spend until, you know, it's kind of worrying internal communications around Christmas, apparently, where every department was saying, we've got a slash budget, so we can only... And, you know, we're not just talking about, oh, um, you know, oh, we, we, we can't make any permanent signings in... You're, t- you're talking about, about the short-term cost, can- contr- cost fucking control. Fucking canteen staff, you know, we've got a fucking... Cut down on how many fucking chips we're selling at lunch. I mean, it's just vaguely terrifying. But I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good way to vent after a disappointing result, right? Because I, I don't think any of us rate KSE. I think you know that he's got a pretty unconvincing track record in American sports. I, I, I do not think there's very much sporting ambition at the club at all when it comes to the ownership. I think if you're talking about a 25. Trying to bridge a 25 to 26 point gap between Liverpool and City, which we're currently in, I think you've got zero chance of doing it under Stan Kroenke. I think a, a truly ambitious ownership goes to a, a far more inspiring managerial appointment in the summer than Unai Emery. I think you go aggressively after like a Simeone after and like it's difficult it would be to prize a you know a coach away from Juventus or Atletico Madrid. Um, but yeah, I mean I've got. KSE are not the or KSI with KSI is it KSI? KSE. KSE? I think KSI, KSI is a wrestler or something. <laughs> no, KSI's a no KSI's a really objo- obnoxious YouTube person. Oh, okay, there That's you go. Well, at least we're both. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, 
Kroenke's not the reason why we've conceded right and 50 odd goals and, and this me, season or let me be clear, so Dave. Just, the, just the 49 with two games left. I'm not defending the guy I, I think my attitude with him is he has no care in the world whatsoever about Arsenal being competitive oh, yeah, absolutely. as long absolutely. as two conditions are met the club doesn't lose money and if there is a European Super League Arsenal are in it like I think those are the only things he cares about having said that I haven't seen any evidence, and there may be some, I just haven't seen it, that at any point he has actively held the club back from doing something it wanted to do. Um, do sure. I think he's putting money in? He's not. But I mean, no. and again, this, is, this may be a straw man, but I look at FSG over at Liverpool. He, they haven't put money in per se either. They've had some huge sales. They've funded things with, I think, football operations. I may be wrong about that, but I think for the most part that's what's happened. So it is possible to build a team that way. Um you know, I, I just, I again, I don't like Stan, and I don't think he advances our ambitions. I just think that the discussion of Stan when we're in a run of bad form doesn't address why we're in that run of bad form. You know, when, when we beat Chelsea or when we beat United or when we have a good performance and draw Spurs or, you know, whatever the, whatever the results are, no one says Stan was responsible for that any more than he's responsible for these for these terrible losses. And so before we take a quick break, Scott, I think... You know, I am ultimately very much on the fence with Emery in this respect. I think you can make an argument that he has done the par job right now. Is that fair to say that so far at this point of the season, if you just look at where we are in the Europa League and where we are in the Premier League, he's at about par for what you would have asked him to do. The problem for me is I don't know that I feel he's gotten there in a very effective way. Like, I I think the reason I struggle to warm to him is I think the way he handled the Ozil situation, the way he handled the Ramsey situation, and the chopping and changing of strategies and lineups and halftime changes and constant turnover of how he's done that, the sort of questionable rotation earlier in the season around the Christmas period and the Europa League group stage, all of these things combined with some very conservative lineups against smaller teams away, you know, our away record, the failure to improve the defense, like, if I just look at our league position and our Europa situation, I'd say he's, he's at par. But the things he's done to get there have me worried about who this guy is. And if you're going to go into a summer and say, we're going to give you a war chest, you know, like $5 or whatever it is, five euros, five, five pounds. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's expanded. Well, I mean, that, that might be what it is. Look, um, unless we can sell Ozil, in which case it's like 10 pounds. But like, um, the question becomes, do I have a philosophy with this manager that I say, yeah, I see what he wants to do. And we're going to give him the money so he can go do that. I mean, isn't that really the issue, Scott? It's that, on, you know, from a 30,000-foot view, you can't really complain with where we are right now based on where we thought we might be at the start of the season. But you can have some questions about how we got here. Yeah, I think that's very true. So, you know, you look through back at the, the rotation early in the season. You know, he didn't really rotate much. Um, in the group stages of the Europa League, didn't give you know any of the young players really a chance to to kind of come through because I think that there is you know quite a bit of young attacking talent that actually would have been nice to to get some minutes. I think you know um, Eddie Nketiah. 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 Yep. There you go. Yeah. Um, I think he he's really you know had a, a kind of an off year. I think it's kind of a lost year for his development. Um, you know, I think Saka, you know, I think he had some some flashes where I would have been nice to see him against some of these, you know, weaker teams. Um, ML Smith Rowe before he went on loan. I think that he probably could have gotten some more minutes. I think these are all guys that, you know, if we're going to need to cut players out for next summer, it would have been nice to have seen them get a little bit more 
early in the season, you know, kind of rest some of our first team guys, you know, get them ready. Um, and then I think you also can look at his, you know, way he tra- handled the winter period. That was another issue. And I think that's something that a lot of people coming in from outside of the Premier League really struggle with. They don't really realize how brutal that stretch of the season is. I think that was probably um, a major issue. You know, you talk about the, you know, what is the philosophy that really isn't one? Um, has there really been, um, you know, major improvements that you can point to saying that, yeah, this is, you know, we've had some struggles. There was learning curves. But, you know, we're ready to actually go into next season with a platform to build on and improve on. Um, I can't really say that there's been um, a major, you know, confidence that that's going to happen for next season. So, yeah, the the results have been fine. You know, he's, he's met the expectations. Has he is it go, do we have confidence that it's going to be better next year or is it going to be more of the same? Um, I think it's going to be more of the same. I don't think there's a, a huge thing. Um, I think that right now that, you know, if you told me. He's got one more year left and it's going to be a lot more of the same pragmatic and, you know, really he's just trying to solidify us into a Champions League spot so then that we have another window to be able to have a little, you know, extra 20, 30 million dollars to to spend on players. Yeah, that'd be fine. I wouldn't like it, but that's fine. You know, get the next guy in after that. But I think you also told me, you know, this was it at the end of the season. Okay, I'm not going to, you know, cry over that um, and think that that's probably fine either way. It's it's I, I mean... I don't think he's been the major problem, but he has not helped things. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, we just had a manager for over two decades. And so I think we all think of that as the norm. That's not the norm. You hire a coach, he works out, you keep him. You're not sure he's doing the right thing, you get a new one. Like, the, that's modern football. You know, I mean, we've seen coaches win Champions Leagues get sacked. We've seen coaches win, I mean... Ranieri won the league at fucking Leicester. That didn't earn him a lifetime appointment, you know, um, and probably for the best. Like, it, it may seem cruel and it may seem harsh, but either you think the guy is doing things the right way and moving things in the right direction, or you don't. And if you don't, that doesn't mean you hate him or he's terrible. I mean, I look at Emery and I say, this is a guy whose track record says maybe he has the right approach for a slightly smaller club with slightly lesser ambitions. Now you could say, hey, Elliot, guess what? We've become that club. Okay, touche. Um, but, you know, I don't know that PSG was a fit for him any more than I think Arsenal necessarily is. And I will admit, and maybe it's the language thing, I find him hard to warm to personally. We were very fortunate with Arsene Wenger in the respect that as a man, he was very easy to like and admire. Um, his language skills were second to none, and he had a philosophy about life and football that was easy to admire, even when I was most frustrated with him. Um, I never had any visceral distaste for the man. Uh, I think Emery is someone I have found it hard to warm to personally, and I fully admit that that informs my feelings about him as a football coach. And we wanted someone more pragmatic. We wanted someone more flexible. I just think we kind of got all the way to the other end of that spectrum. Um, I'm not saying he's bad. You can think some, this is so true of all of our debates about players, about coaches. You can think he's perfectly fine and still think that maybe he's not the right fit. And on that happy note, we're going to turn this podcast on its head and get upbeat and talk about Aaron Ramsey after the break. So that'll be really fun and happy um, because his Arsenal career is over. What we're going to do, we're going to talk Ramsey. We're going to sell some players. We're going to preview Valencia all in the next 20 minutes. But the first thing we have to do before we do any of that is sell you some lingerie. So we're going to take a break, hear about some sexy underpants, and come back after this. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at The Enclosed, The 
E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D.com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right. Just like a Beer of the Month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. And before we even go another step further, Dave, I just want to give you the chance to go into witness relocation or change your name or bring some new... I have a feeling you're going to catch some serious heat for the aggressiveness with which you've uh, brought the takes on this podcast. Uh, I think I think you've you've taken the, the back channel and thought that that was just an appropriate way to communicate in public. Do you, do you want to Wait, soften anything? No, no. It turns no, out that people... Emory, people I- Okay, awesome. Every, cool. every all the way out. Double, Lean into it. Doubling down. I get, the funny thing is, right, like I tried to get Clive to do the pod. He wasn't available. I tried to get Tim. He wasn't available. I tried to get Paul. He wasn't available. So I have no, I have no buffer against what's happening here right now. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I just go whichever way the wind is pointing, as everybody knows. Um, let's talk Ramsey. His Arsenal career is over. This is pretty sad. And I was already sad that Ramsey was leaving. We already thought he was a good player. What sucks is it feels like the last two months, the only way any lineup has ever worked at all has been if Ramsey's in it. So this has long-ranging consequences for the club just because I think he's a hard player to replace, and he's a player with deep connections to the club over many years, and he's sort of the end of an era. But it has short-term, immediate ramifications for trying to win these next two Premier League games and win the Europa League. Dave, do you want to just quickly sort of eulogize Ramsey's career uh, in a few sentences and then maybe what it means for us just the last last few games um i think he has been one of the best servants of the last 15 years so i think he's been one of the best servants at arsenal football club post invincibles um i think he's a player for bizarrely for kind of the first few seasons the emirates that he was strangely polarizing i think because he was he's he'd always such a he was always such a brave player you know he was never one of sharp responsibility so because he was always so visible because he took on so much responsibility when things didn't pan out and he gave the ball away and i remember you know when i used to have a season to get the emirates like he was always the first one that people jumped on the back of because he he wasn't a buck passer he really would take on the mantle of trying to make things happen and you know you look at the just statistically what he's done for us. I think he's our, what, our top scoring midfielder of all time now. He's got two cup final winners. And he's probably been responsible for my two happiest ever Arsenal memories, certainly in the flesh. Being at that 3-2 Hull game and seeing him get the winner is probably the happiest footballing memory in my life. So if all he did with those two FA Cup final winners against Hull and against Chelsea, he'd still be probably one of my 10 favourite Arsenal players of all time. I think... The really sad thing is we've seen how valuable he still is to this team. You know, we're not eulogising a, a player who's past his prime or his nostalgia act. He's 
on his day, still one of the finest attacking midfielders in Europe. That's why Juventus are paying him what four hundred grand a week to go there next season. You know, like so he, he's not some charity case who's riding in the sunset with best best days behind him. Granted, the post Shawcross, he's never been quite the same player, only because. He struggles to play, you know, seven or eight Premier League games in a row. He, he's always had persistent hamstring uh, twangs and things of that nature. But in terms of, I think, can't think many examples where, especially in the modern era, we know how petulant footballers can be through either social media or through interviewers or through their agents. He has been a model professional. Like his, his ever since, you know, the, the pre-contract news came out, uh, from Juventus he's been nothing but a consummate professional in the field his his attitude his work rate has been second to none I think it's been very telling I think over the last two months prior to the injury against Napoli I think he was head and shoulders maybe with Leno or he was certainly head and shoulders the best outfield player and again it's really sad that this Napoli uh, not that you know not, not only that it would have been lovely to see him get the a really, you know, a deserved send off against Brighton at the Emirates at the weekend, and I'm sure he'll he'll still be at the ground to to say his goodbyes. But I think, you know, just in terms of short term results and what we're expecting, to, what we are hoping to achieve between now and the end of the season, and I get, I guess, the knock on effect of what sort of budgets that will give us for the off season. You know, you're talking perhaps forty million pounds to invest with Europa League football, or perhaps double that if we did qualify for the Champions League. I think you know we, we'd have at least drawn against Palace two weeks ago for Ramsey being the side. I'm not sure he'd, ha- he'd have had the same impact against Wolves or, or Leicester. Um, I'd certainly be more confident with this Valencia doubleheader in the side. So I think his um, his loss for these next you know two European games and their final two matches could be the difference between you know fourth and fifth or fourth and sixth or winning that. Uh, Europa League so I think short term it's very sad and I think uh, longer term it, it'll just be kind of sad that he doesn't go he doesn't get a bow out and I think the sort of kind of romantic swan song I think his uh, his contribution to the football club deserves so yeah it's it's fucking sad for a variety of reasons man so yeah well I, I mean you've really lifted the pod there so I appreciate you doing it I, <laughs> hey, you know I, I will say this about cyanide cash, was it? yeah that, that's kind of your brand I look I think <laughs> The the first thing that we can agree on is that like you can love Ramsey and think Ramsey is an incredible player and miss him terribly and also think we were not wrong to not re-sign him. Look, we were wrong to not get money for him. <laughs> that that's pretty obvious. But I mean, for a player who can't stay fit, um, you know, the kinds of wages we probably needed to offer were not really something we could afford to do. Uh, especially after having given Ozil what we gave him, which again, probably a bad decision. But once we made that decision, and with Ramsey's injury history, I don't think you can give him the, the wages he needed. I also think you have to sell him, but that's another issue. And even believing all that, you can still think it's terrible that he's going and see the impact. I mean, you look even at just this season. Pick your big game. 2-0 over Chelsea, 2-0 over United, um, you know, he the the draw at Spurs that should have been a win if Oba hits, you know, puts away the penalty. He scores the goal Firstly there. Firstly against Napoli. Yeah, he, yep, exactly against Napoli. He he starts all those games. He often scores in the big games. When we went past City and Chelsea to win the FA Cup, he was dominant in a midfield two with Shaka with a back three in both of those games. You know, he's won us FA Cups with his goals. I you know, big game player is usually a thing that people invoke that isn't real. 
Um, it's just a thing that they imagine. But if Ozil is criticized for not being a big game player because you can think of big games where he hasn't shown up, the games you think of with Ramsey are big games. Um, and we've really missed him, and we've really missed his character and his willingness to get on the ball and try to make things happen. And I think if you look at our midfield personnel right now, whether it's Torreira or Ganduzi or Shaka, we have a lot of players that are not particularly progressive, that do not have the ability to go in and make the extra man in the attack. Ramsey's the one guy in midfield we have who does that and can provide the end product. And without him, we look very tame in attack. So, Scott, I mean, the absence of Ramsey for you, is it just that it gives us a real challenge creating balance between attack and defense that we don't have that person in the middle of the pitch who can give us a little bit of both yes and i think that's actually been one of the things that's been so uh relevatory about him this season especially as they've gone to the back three with you know no real fullbacks and needing to use wingbacks is that we've had to sacrifice a true like attacking player so we couldn't have had you know the four you know the three attacking midfielders with a striker or you know even you know double strikers kind of a thing so when he is in midfield he still plays as a midfielder and will give good um, defensive actions and you know he's not going to be a guy who will abandon his position he can do that from time to time but he will still put in his defensive shift um, but he is also so good at getting forward and being in the right attacking positions that some of the other midfielders don't have so we can play with you know more defenders but still not sacrifice as much in defense um, and I think that's one of the things that is so hard to replace about him um, is his ability to add shots on a team that really struggles because that is not something that we get from our wide players. It's really just the strikers that are, you know, guys that are actually going to get you more than, you know, a single shot a game. So that was something that was so important about him in this in this role, especially from deep. So that's something that I think that you can definitely tell over the last three matches that Arsenal are significantly missing is that we are trying to replace those you know, well, plus his creativity, plus his shots, his ability to, you know, be everywhere that he needs to be. It's just something that has absolutely killed the team and it's going to be hard to replace going forward. Yeah. And I think that looking at what Emery is trying to do, it seems like the problem is, again, the attack to me is more of a worry than the defense. We know why the defense is bad. The personnel isn't great. Um, this isn't a great team defensively, but he can't seem to get the attack to click without Ramsey making the extra man. Um, exactly. So we, yeah, when we play the back four, yes, we you know, have the four true attacking players, but we have absolutely nothing at fullback. Um, when we play the back three without Ramsey, then we are short a man attacking, and yeah, we're you know, attacking the attack looks bad. Yeah. And it's, it's so when he is there, it makes things work. It makes the numbers kind of pencil out. You know, even though we are, you know, giving up a man in attack, he is able to kind of do both. Um, you know, you, you know, we talked a little bit about Lester earlier. You know, he is like the, the Conte where, where Conte could be two men in, you know, as a defensive midfielder, you know, allowing them to be able to be more aggressive with their counterattack because they knew that even if they turned the ball over, you know, Conte was there to clean up. You know, Ramsey is kind of that way for the Ram or the Arsenal attack. You know, we can have a little bit more, you know, back to hold back, you know, kind of give a little bit more solidity. But Ramsey is a guy that can get forward when needed and be in the right positions, but also recover and help out on defense. Yeah, that's fair. I, 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 it is a big concern for me because right now what really seems to be missing is the balance in our attack. And I don't know how you get it there. And a big part of that too, is because Iwobi and Mkhitaryan have been so weak real quick, Scott, on that point. I mean, 
those two players for me are the two that are carrying a lot of weight for our poor run of form because, you know, Aubameyang and, and Lacazette, I don't think have been brilliant, and, and I, our midfield is an issue, but I think if you could get something end product-wise or in the final third from Mkhitaryan or Awobi, or certainly both of them, it adds a, a big difference, you know, to, to what we're seeing right now. And because both of them have been so short of any final third contribution, I think we've been very easy to keep at bay. I mean, it's, it's been said a million times, so we're not really covering any new ground here, so... Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Um, would you say that, that those positions have been the big disappointment? Yeah, I think it is. Because um, I think Mkhitaryan at times has had flashes where he's looked pretty good. But it's, it's especially over the last few games, he has definitely just looked old. Um, he's looked incredibly slow and unathletic. Not that he was a, a, you know, a great athlete with Arsenal before, but I think it's gotten even worse. And that's something that is very hard from, you know, or very easy for defenders to deal with from out wide. He's not a guy who's going to beat you, you know, and then get past a guy and then just cause havoc in the box. Um, and Arsenal are just absolutely missing a player that can do that. You know, Awobi is a good dribbler, not a great dribbler, but he's not the kind of guy that, you know, probably, you know, puts fear into fullbacks and or, you know, even if he gets matched up on a center back out wide, he's not a guy that, you know, people are going to bring over other guys that's not going to disrupt a defense and, you know, be able to give a ton of openings for the other players. Arsenal are absolutely missing that type of player. And it hurts, um, especially when neither of those guys are going to give you extra shots and goals from out wide. Look, yep. the thing what Wolby yep. is, right? Wolby is, and this is the most thundering cliche, and it's very much damning with faint praise, but he's an honest player. He's reasonably hardworking. He's just tremendously limited. Like, for context, Wolby has the same amount of league goals this season as Koscielny. He's got three goals. Three goals and four assists, which are... Shocking numbers. I mean, shocking. For a, for a wide attacker, you know, when we're coming off peak peak season or, you know, hype as far as Alexis Sanchez, who was getting, racking up double figures for both goals and it's assists every 20, season. 20 and 12 or 25 and 13 or whatever you do. For this, for this drop in quality where, you know, you're Mkhitaryan and Awobi have something like 10 goals between them for the season and I think fewer than 10 assists between them. The the lack of quality in wide areas is absolutely terrifying. I mean, that that chance on Sunday at the King Power when he was bearing down and goal one and one, I had roughly as much faith of him finishing that as I did. I mean, my level of faith and, and was Jervinho-esque. Jervinho 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 Let me just stop you for one second to make a point about that. People overestimate how easy it is to score goals. Scoring goals is hard. Um, I'm not saying he, quote, has to score from there, but he has to hit it with some confidence or conviction or power or direction he he leans back and he just abdicates responsibility i think honestly the only thought in his mind is put this vaguely on target so i can you know not look bad i i you know maybe that's not fair but but he looked he looked like he was scared of the chance and we deserved nothing from that game but he scores there it is a totally different game which is obvious and cliche. Again, you were doing it, now I'm doing it. But yeah, continue. But I was just making the point that like, it's not that he has to score there, it's that he has to show the conviction of someone who's been playing as a, an attacker for multiple seasons for Arsenal now. I mean, it's, it's clearly, I think you hit the nail on the head there if we're going to continue with the uh, firing the cliche gun. He is a player who looks, in his worst moments, bereft of confidence. Uh, I don't know what I mean. I, I think there's 
there's some weird there's failings behind the scenes i think from a coaching perspective because he looks like a rabbit in the headlights when he's going through and go like he, he is there is no conviction there. as you said i think he he just wants to hit it vaguely on target so he, he doesn't look bad i i don't think he had any confidence as his nose in his own abilities on sunday that he was going to score that goal um and you know when you look at the the quality of wide attackers at Liverpool and City, if, if that's the bar that we want to catch, you know, I'm not saying it's fair to compare them to Salah, but to have such a, a cavernous drop between the best wide attackers in the league to what we are having to deal with every week, it's astonishing. I mean, that's why that's one of the many reasons. Until there's a fundamental sea change in personnel which is probably going to require a lot more money than we're going to have at our disposal this summer, that you know, we're going to continue to finish 25 to 30 points behind the league leaders. So. Dave. Hooray! This was the, this was the optimistic half of the podcast. Pick, pick a player of the season. <laughs> I, honestly, my, I might end. This, uh, this probably says a lot. Um, my, my actual player of the season is Burnt Leno. I think Leno's really come on his own uh, since Christmas. I think... Now I think he looks like the best signing of last summer. I mean, and the funny thing is, like we've conceded what forty nine goals, and he's probably Four, yeah. play. Scott, Scott, you got to play yeah. of the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so tough because there really isn't um, a player of the season. I mean, it's so there's been some good players, but there hasn't been a player that absolutely stands out. I think you can make an argument for Leno, you can make a, an argument for Aubameyang, you can make a, a an argument for Lacazette. And you know, you make an argument for Ramsey, and he started fourteen games. <laughs> exactly, and it's like, and it's bad. You know, you think about your 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 top goal scorer. Has he been great? No, he's he's been good, but he hasn't been you know amazing. You know, you think about your guy that started the most of your games as your center forward. He's been it's another guy. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. It, Leno, who's we're we're on track to concede more goals than last year, and our goalkeeper is our player of the season. He's been really good, but I mean, my God, like. This is just all sorts of like damning <laughs> with like faint praise. Um, and just a quick point on the, the Awobi one, like I totally agree. So like I'm pulling up the numbers. It's a um, a, tw- a, a point three um, expected goals. And honestly, like you had to like you know adjust that down in your head. And it's like you know what what is it like a ten percent chance, a fifteen percent chance? Like and then yeah, you talk about where he puts it on target. Um, that he gets scored about twenty percent of the time. So he takes a really good chance and probably makes it a little bit worse just based on. I'm just going to basically, you know, not go for a corner, not really put it into where the keeper can't get it. I'm going to get it on target and just, you know, that's his confidence right now. And if that's just, that says it all. I don't, I don't love where it's headed. This, this whole thing feels like a train wreck, guys. I don't know how we're going to rescue this. So uh, let's, let's blatantly rip off the arse cast and, and see if that helps. Uh, well, it, it, there's never an early here. We're already well past anybody listening. But um, let, let's blatantly rip off the arse cast before we quickly give predictions for Valencia. Um, so I'm going to just say keep or sell. That's it. All right. You each are going to say keep or sell. I'm going to give you a name. You're going to say it. That's it. You don't have to explain. You don't have to justify. And my criteria is this. You don't have to say, oh, well, there wouldn't be a buyer. No one would buy him. This is literally like, do you want him to stick around or do you not? Now, the reason for him to stick around, you can factor in things like wages and age and things like that and what he contributes. But this is just, do you, do you, if we could sell him for a fair market price tomorrow, would you or would you keep him? So you ready to go through it? Yes. All right, Dave, I will start with you. I'll just pick a name. Again, just keep or sell. Very easy game. 
Can't get it wrong. Oh, to get, are we going through the, oh, like, so we're going through it in a really, I'm going to give you a name. Order, right? Starting with keeper, defense, uh, midfield, uh, yeah. strikers, right? It's going to be whatever order I can think of players that are on the team. Okay, okay? good. <laughs> Leno. Uh, keep. Scott. Keep. Uh, Dave. Um, look, I'm just going to give you the back line, Dave. Stay with you. So I'm going to give you a couple names and then I'll, I'll switch it over to, to Scott. Otherwise, it's going to get tedious. It's already tedious, frankly. Uh, Mustafi. Sell. Kashelny. Keep. Socrates. Keep. Bellerin. Keep. Kolasinac. Sell. Nacho. Keep, but only for one season. I'd give him a one-year extension. You broke the rules. All right, Scott, you ready? <laughs> yep. Kashelny. Keep. Eh, no, sell. I'd sell Kashelny. You guys are good at this. Mustafi. Sell. Kolasinac. Keep. Nacho. Sell. Socrates. Keep. Bellerin. Keep. I'd sell Kelsey Natch, by the way. Um, okay, let's move to the midline. I could, I could be sold either way. Yeah, Scott, you can be sold? How much am I yes. getting for you? Because I'm totally, <laughs> I'm in that market. Um, Charging per hour or yeah, per yeah. evening? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the market for all of it. Uh, uh, Scott, I'll stick with you now. We're going to do the midfield. Torreira. Keep. Ganduzi. Keep. Chaka. Sell. Ramsey. Just kidding. You don't have a choice. <laughs> um, okay, let's move over to... Jesus, that's our home midfield. El, El Nenny. Oh. So. <laughs> Who? What? El Nenny. Does, doesn't <laughs> ring a bell. Cochlin, is he still around? Uh, Dave, you ready? Yeah. Uh, Torreira. Keep. Ganduzi. Loan. I know that's breaking the rules, but... Okay. Uh, you can't sell him right now. He's 19 years old. Shaka? No, no, no. Sell. Yeah. Uh, oh, El Nenny. That guy. Sell. Yeah, please. Is he, is he still got I, time left I, in the steel prison? So. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he's probably going to be here. Like he's he's on the Carl Jenkinson plan. He'll be here till we're feels all dead like and he, buried. It feels like he's at the start of a three year deal because that's just okay. What we do? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you, Dave. It will be. Yep. Sell. Yeah. Uh, Mkhitaryan. Sell. Ozil. Sell. Aubameyang. Keep. Lacazette. Keep. Welbeck. Well, he's gone anyway, isn't he? So. Yeah. There's rumors. Rumors we might sign him. Sell. He's too injury prone. Scott. Ozil. Sell. Mm-hmm. Good man. It will be. Keep. What? Ooh. To do what with? Unless you're converting I, I, him to midfield, you can't keep I, him. I, I, yeah, I, I want to see him move into... I think if Arsenal Why goes... Why isn't like he a in midfield? Why, why is it... Oh, God, does my head in. Okay, uh, McTarion. Yeah. I'd, like yeah, I'd like to see him in a 4-3-3 four, four, three, three or yeah. a 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one yeah. as one of the you know attacking A's. I think that probably maximizes his skills. I'm going to break the rules of the game and just make a quick aside here. The thing that astonishes me is how little we've played with the midfield three this season. And I've had seen people say it only works with Ramsey. And maybe that's true, but we concede the midfield in every game like just put a wobi in there and see what happens you can play shaka Torreira, and a wobi and just see i just love to see it mkhitaryan scott so obamian so really i i mean i think we need to we need to rebuild and okay, I, okay, if somebody okay, if somebody's okay. coming in fair market value i'd sell them lacazette so same same deal why? It's funny, but right? I mean, I mean the, Lacazette, Lacazette yes, is probably the most. I, I, I would love to keep both of them, but if somebody's coming in 
for you know a 29 year old and a 27 or a 28 year old, and they're giving us full full value. This team needs to rebuild. They need the money. Those are the two guys that are giving the most money. I wouldn't sell both of them, but if somebody's coming in for one of them, I would. Both of them would be available to me. Yeah, let's uh, let's agree with this. You've got a lot of goals to replace because <laughs> there's there's none left. Um, yeah. So my attitude is I would sell all of them, all of them. They can all yeah. fucking go. I don't. I mean, honestly, I, I, none I, of them I mean, are worth a damn. They can the all be, go. But- yeah, I you mean, know what? If anybody's coming in, Hector Bellerin for lifetime captaincy, and the rest of them can fucking go. I honestly, okay, let's just, none of them need. Let's to just stay. start selling the seats to the ground. Let's I, go yes, probably melt I'm the in. plastic down. <laughs> sure, some, yeah. Some we, no, re- recycling has no value these days. Okay, um, so then let's uh, let's finish off real quick with predictions about the Valencia game, and I, you know I look at it this way. Everybody's like, oh, the Europa League, the Europa League's our chance. You know, now we can refocus on it. The scary thing is right. We were on this run of form where we had really found something and clicked and we were winning games and we were playing well and we got through Napoli. And now we go into Valencia at an absolute low ebb. And the thing that scares me, Dave, is if you're Emery, what system do you trust? You tried the back three against Palace and it was brutal. Now, admittedly, that back five that he picked was disaster. You tried to be aggressive against Wolves. That didn't work. You tried this weird sort of counterattack in 4-4-2 against Leicester, disaster. You went with sort of your preferred setup against Watford and Everton, and both games were pretty bad. If you're Emery going into this game, how do you know what approach to take at this point? I mean, you don't. I, I just presume he's got a dartboard with varying formations on it. He blindfolds himself, and he just wherever the wherever the dart hits, that's the formation we're going for this week. I, I personally, I prefer to see three at the back because I feel our and it's a smaller sample size as it is. I feel a clutch of our better performances this season have come with three at the back. Um, but honestly, I, what's the point in second guessing? Because he's so schizophrenic when it comes to selections. I, I think my concern is, and this kind of goes beyond tactical, is I think at this stage of the season, when momentum is so against you, which has been over these last five games, take the, uh, I guess, take Napoli out of the equation, that I think that's very hard to claw back, especially when, you know, right now I think we're really quite limited with personnel and who we can pick. Um, so I'm not going to second guess him because, you know, I think it's like trying to rake leaves in a windy day trying to second guess Emery. So I have no idea what lineup we'll see tomorrow. I, I've got no idea what formation we'll go with. I, I'm not confident we'll get a result. I think we'll lose tomorrow. I think it'll be... I think the scoreline will be more respectful than the Rennes scoreline. I think we'll score, and I think we'll just about sneak through. I think I could see something like seeking away, seeking through 4-3 over the course of two legs, and then I'm absolutely confident we'll lose to Chelsea 2-1 in the final. So, hooray! Wow. I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd take getting through Valencia right now. Scott, What what's he got to do? I mean, he... He's tried every system under the sun, and then at halftime he's tried all the other systems under the moon. None of them are working. <laughs> There's no Ramsey. Um, I, d- I don't know what he does. What does he do? Yeah, help, help, help us help him. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the things have been feel like they're so reactive to what happened in the previous match. It's very much trying to fix the problems of the previous match and then not realizing, you know, the circumstances are changing kind of thing. Or at least that's what it's felt like over the last, you know, few matches. It's like we've swerved into new problems trying to fix the old problems. And it's that's very arsenal right now. Um, I'm not super confident. Probably, you know, the back three. And I bet 
the attack is just so I don't know what you do. I guess you know, do you do like the the three, four, one, two kind of thing? I, I mean, I guess maybe I don't know who you put that in that one. Like, I guess you, maybe you put Ozil in front of Abomiang and Lacazette. The front uh, two has Rams. not looked good. It has not I, it, looked yeah, like it's it working. It hasn't. But I mean, the wide players are so out of form right now. I, I honestly don't know what you do at this time. I'm not feeling great about it. I, I think it might be like a two-two. I, I actually wouldn't even be surprised if it was like even a two-one to Valencia right now. Um, I just don't feel, even with you know Arsenal, you know being at home, that they're in a, a great spot. Uh, it just the the whole injury crisis that's gone through with you know Ramsey being out, no fullbacks, you know uh, wingbacks that are kind of in trouble right now. I, I just don't have a lot of confidence. I. I I expect it'll be the you know the three four one two. I think that's probably the best that we can do right now, and hope that you know Leno makes some saves and Arsenal can win. You know, squeak by with maybe like a two one or. Ooh, you said Leno can make some saves. Are you ITK or what are you thinking here? No, I'm just I'm just I'm just hoping. I guess that was my my dream, but you're right. It's probably going to be Czech, and you know, not that Czech hasn't been great, but. I just, you know, I think Leno's, you know, we talked about him being our player this season and he's not even going to be in probably our biggest match, you know, going in right now. Dave, would you start Leno? Yeah, but historically Arsenal got a very bizarre approach to keepers and cup finals. I mean, look back to uh, 2013 in the whole game where even though Chessing was firmly established as our number one keeper, Wenger persisted with... Fabianski, and this was shit Fabianski, not reformed Fabianski. And I still have flashbacks, and I say flashbacks. Him running out of his area. I have have war flashbacks, and the sort of PTSD flashbacks to when he was hearing off his line 60 yards and the whole player rounded him. But um, I I would would go with Leno because I'm not much. I think when you're, you're still vying for competitions, especially at the business end of my. I don't think there's any room for a sentimentality. So pick your best players. So yeah, I'd absolutely, I, I'd maybe give Petr Cech a, a token against Brighton for the last 10 minutes. Not that you usually substitute keepers unless they're injured, but yeah. no, I would not be playing him in the Europa League again, that's for sure. And again, like Scott was saying, I don't think he's done anything wrong of late. I mean, I don't, I don't. I, I can't really remember many big errors. I mean, I, he wasn't great against Ren away from home, but I don't think he's. I think he's actually had a better season this year than probably the two or three prior. So I just think you know Leonard's the better keeper at this point. Play your best side. It's fairly simple. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Czech's going back to unless Chelsea you know, at the end of the season. He, he's going home. I mean, it's a reminder that that's the club of his home, not Arsenal. Like, I'd be fine with it. I. I just yeah, think, back to Chelsea. What is it, a backroom role? Is it or coaching role? Or yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I, look, I ultimately the interesting thing here is I, so I was I had a long conversation with a friend today about top four. Chelsea have Watford at home and Leicester away, and we have Brighton at home and Burnley away. Do you think Chelsea are going to get six points from those two games? I mean, the way all of these teams are playing. You wouldn't I think necessarily... they'll get minimum four. I think they'll get minimum so four. So let's say they get four. They'll definitely beat Watford. I think they'll... If well, they need a draw at Leicester, they'll get a draw at, right. at Leicester. But so if they get four and we get six... Oh, we're, well, we're, we're in three. probably we're in finishing... Three. To- oh, okay, okay. Well, good. I'm glad you solved that. Uh, the only reason I bring it up is because I think... I don't think Emery... He's in a tough spot. He can't... He still, even now, can't just say, 
I'm going all out for Europa League. I, I still think he's got to have one eye on on the Premier League because I think two wins probably gets us top four, as astonishing as that sounds. Scott, I mean, is that insane? And you know what? I think you know. I think four points is probably realistic for what Chelsea can do, and then it's going to come down to to goal difference. And you know, Arsenal really shit the bed. You know, giving up nine goals over the last three matches. And nine I can you imagine that? You know, Leicester's you know drawing at the the last day of the season, and Arsenal are against you know a deep Burnley team who just will not let us score, and we are just huffing and puffing, and we're gonna you know go out on goal difference or something stupid like that. By huffing and puffing, I assume you mean we're trailing 3-0 in the 70th minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> by, is, by the way, I mean, Burnley. it would be totally on brand for us to have done this podcast, for Dave to have gone mega Emery out under the Arsenal vision under the Arsenal vision flag, and then we finish fourth and win the Europa League, and everybody gives us a middle finger. And then I can backpedal and say it was the it was the anti uh, it was the anti jinx. I do so think it tells it you a, a lot about this a season. strategy. I, I do think it tells you a lot about this season that we are still in the frame to accomplish the minimum the, the goals that were set at the beginning of the season, and aren't sure how to feel about the man who's sort of shepherded us there. I think. I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, there'll be plenty of time to talk about it this summer when we have Champions League football to look forward to and we're wondering if Emery should be given a new five-year contract. So that'll be fun. Uh, Scott, you didn't give me your prediction for Valencia. I, I, I think I gave like three predictions. <laughs> did, did, was, it, was it Dave? No, Dave, Dave gave us the whole thing, how the whole thing was going to go. Do, do, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, let, I, think, I think I said I, I, my original prediction was 2-1 to Valencia. Yeah, I'm going to say... That this is a wild one. I'll say two-two, uh, and it's on a knife edge going back to Valencia, where we should get smoked five 0 So we'll see. Um, in any event, this has been a terrible, terrible, terrible circumstance to to record a podcast. Uh, we might have been better just not putting one out, but we did have to put one out. So Scott, are we going to do a pregame show tomorrow? I, I'm I'm, making, I'm clearing my schedule. Awesome. So uh, assuming that technical issues don't strike, we will probably be doing a live YouTube show tomorrow ahead of the game that will be uh, a far sight cheerier than this because Dave won't be here. But I do want to thank Dave for being on uh, and for all the grief and problems you're going to cause me. Well, uh, I, at least, of, you know, probably someone's just, well, many, many mad people on Twitter have probably taken contracts out against my life. So there's I, that. I will so tell I've, you this. I've achieved something today. I'm going to give you the YouTube login for the Arsenal Vision account. You can specifically respond to the YouTube comments because those are going to be aggressive. Um, that sounds yeah. lovely. Yeah, it's going to be a fun day for you. In any event, Dave is sort of on Twitter at McMeeks. And when I say thank you, Dave, uh, LA, I mean stop it, giving that information. I, I mean it only in the loosest sense, but thank you, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I now regret meeting you IRL. Um, <laughs> Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott. Yeehaw. My name is Elliot Smith. I would say give us a five-star review, but there isn't a shot in hell you're going to do it after this one. <laughs> this is. I think this is going to be a close one with the first Emery podcast we did after he was announced as manager and people basically like rioted on our website. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. In any event, though, look, we're all in this together. We all support Arsenal through thick and thin. I think Arsblog said it best on his podcast where he said uh, he appreciates the respectful disagreement that he got for um, his contributions on the last podcast, and we certainly uh, uh, appreciate what will certainly be respectful feedback to this podcast. So we look forward to uh, continuing the conversation, which will be tomorrow before the game, so join us for that. Uh, as always, we love you. We really appreciate you listening through thick and thin. And by thin, I mean this podcast, and through thick, I mean when Tim and Clive and Paul are back. So 
Look forward to that on a coming podcast. My travel's over, so we're back to regular scheduled stuff after this, and uh, everyone who you look forward to hearing from will be back. In any event, we do love you. We will uh, have another podcast coming up shortly. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Valencia News. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.